0: Incomparable t-shirts are on sale until July 8th, so go now to the slash shirt, or be sad forever, or until we make more shirts.
1: The Incomparable, number 254,
2: July 2015.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk about a film that is in theaters now, which very rarely happens. But if we get enough people who've seen it, and if I've managed to go out and see it, which is tricky, what with the uh, the problematic uh, children and all, but a little less difficult when it is a Pixar film because I can take my children with me to see it, which I did, and that's why we're going to talk about Inside Out. I am joined. Uh, on this podcast, by other people who have fortunately also seen Inside Out and therefore can talk about it, Andy Anko is out there. Hi, Andy. I'd like to talk like Richard Kind for
3: this whole show, but I think I, that's I, I've shot my locker. I think
0: that's <laughs> yeah, the only thing that, that was good though. That was a good Richard Kind. Thank you.
1: It, it was a very. It's a very polished. David Lore, hello. Hello, hello. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this, and I just know this, this episode is going to become a core memory.
0: It's mm. <laughs> good. John Syracuse out there, I wouldn't talk uh, about Pixar without John.
2: Yeah, Jason, I would have an opening statement if I had seen this movie more than once, but it's so new.
0: I've only seen yeah. it once. <laughs> That's true. It's that new. And my own personal bing bong.
1: <laughs> Merlin man. Hi, Merlin. <laughs> that, that does explain the cotton candy smell.
4: Well, it's part of that. It was, you know, animals were popular then.
3: That's great because if we make them cry at the end, we each get caramel
4: mm. Mm. <laughs> candy for my
0: eyes. It's good to have you here. Thanks. We're not talking about. Um, we, we'll we'll leave the debate about uh, whether the cat talks in Kiki's delivery service <laughs> to be. Right, I'll Probably. just I'll erase half
4: my notes. All right, all right, <laughs> all right fine. Whatever. Copy
0: paste. Move okay. those to the end. We'll get there. Up,
1: up down. All
0: right, inside down. out. Uh, directed by. Th- this is a film from 2015. <laughs> I <I've> always <laughs> talk about when it's from, and it's from now because it's in theaters now. Uh, we got you got your Amy Poehler as Joy. You got you got your uh, you got your Phyllis from The Office as Sadness. A lot of a lot of uh, NBC sitcom Thursday kind of Richard Kind alumni from Mad About Mad You. Mad About You. Yeah, he was a must see TVer. Bill Hader, the rare. Uh, He's on a different, from a different night of NBC. A lot of NBC people here, and Lewis Black, who I believe has never been allowed on NBC's air. When I first heard about this movie, it was uh, in in an article that was describing how the crazy hippies at Pixar were doing things that nobody understood, and how could it ever be a movie? And it was literally like. a movie that's all about that takes place entirely inside the mind of a child. Like how could they do that? They're, they're nuts. It'll never work kind of thing. And I, I kept thinking about that as I watched it, that, that, um, that's how you take a premise that seems so out there and you end up with a, a film that, um, is, uh, I think beautiful and interesting and has a lot to say about, uh, actual like human beings and how they behave uh while also being very entertaining so uh, you know just off the top let's let's uh you know what 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 did you all take away from inside out we're gonna we're gonna start with that uh john what, what, what you know what did you walk away with uh this film thinking about
2: yeah you reminded me of the of hearing about it in that sort of abstract contract. Do you remember oh. that
0: they're crazy <laughs> how could that how was that a movie
2: yeah, once it became concrete, I forgot all of that, and I got down to the business of how they're going to sort, uh, sort out this uh, tension between the world inside the head and the world outside the head. And when I was watching the movie, that's primarily intellectually what I was watching for. How do you tell the story? Uh, because it, what's going on inside the head, you don't care about unless you also care about what's going on outside how do you balance it is it 50 50 is it mostly inside the head is it mostly outside with just like a little angel or devil popping up on the shoulder you know that kind of uh trope this is sort of like the inward version of that trope that's what i was thinking about when i was watching this movie and, and the other thing that struck me as i was watching it uh, again intellectually more than the other uh, emotional parts of the, the story that i'm sure we will talk about at length was and i'm not sure about this you guys can help me and see what you think i kept thinking is this a movie made for parents that kids might like? Or is this a movie made for kids that parents might like? And obviously I am a parent and a lot of times you watch a movie and you think this movie is made for me, but watching this movie I'm like, has there ever been a movie made uh, aimed more squarely at, like moms and dads than this supposedly quote unquote kids movie? Like, is it even a kid's movie or is it a parent's movie that has stuff in it that kids might enjoy. So that's really my strongest first impression of the movie, the balancing of the two worlds and that Inside Out is a parent's movie.
0: Dangerously like an opening statement, but not one. (laughs) Merlin, what do you think
4: of Inside Out? Going into it, um, even as recently as a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe my uh, expectations were impossibly low. Um, I had seen the trailer and I was just like, Oh boy. Um, not feeling great about this because I mean, you, okay, I get it, I see what you're doing here. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I think I get where where they're going with this, but you know, kind of like you said in the opening, um, they managed to do this impossible thing where they had this, they basically told this story by analogy, um, that was incredibly compelling, you know. And I guess I'd gotten a little bit of buzz. A, a pal of mine had written one of the games, you guys know, Aplat from the internet, he wrote uh, one of the games. Uh, the infinity game for this and he's like seriously he's like this is really good this is maybe the best thing they've done I'm, well you're, you're drunk you're totally drunk hmm. and a couple of my pals in pixar it said like hey i think you're gonna like this and so i was like okay you know whatever and um i i had many of the similar thoughts to what john had where like I, i'm not sure i can tell who this is for my feeling is that like toy story 3 i think this kind of is one for the parents uh, maybe evidenced best by the fact that the biggest laugh in the entire movie is when Joy and sadness slam into the window at the end. I got a huge laugh the two times that I've seen it. <laughs> but uh, no, but I was, I mean, as we'll talk about at length, uh, I was very, it's, obviously I felt a lot of extremely strong emotions and I cried a lot, but the thing that I'm still turning over in my head is how they managed to pull off what they pulled off. That's the part I find the most amazing is the the craft of not just, you know, making this this sappy story, But, you know, who would have guessed that you would turn sadness into the hero of this story? And I'm still turning that over my head, how they did it. And I I think it was a triumph.
0: Yeah, it's certainly an uh, uh, interesting—it's a a philosophical take that I didn't expect going into the film, which is that this is a movie that in some ways is about appreciating being a well-rounded person and that you've got to have levels and that sadness is actually part of life and one of the ways you appreciate life, which, again— I think this may be leading to the idea that
1: this is a layer
0: more for parents than for children perhaps um because that's a level that's kind of a nuanced level but certainly um I I was surprised by that when I saw it. Andy, you've got some opening thoughts about inside out? Yeah, I mean I I went into this with a lot more optimism
3: than uh, many people did. Because to me, this is exactly the sort of movie that I hope that Pixar makes. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the Minions movie because I thought they were hysterically funny in uh, in the Gru movies. But we don't want – I don't expect or want Pixar to make a simple movie like that. That's it's, it's funny. It's entertaining. It's great. What I'm looking for from Pixar is something that is just bizarre that you just – don't immediately see what the story is about you don't know where this story is headed where you don't feel as you feel as though they're really making one entire unit of a movie as opposed to connecting a whole bunch of... Some scenes will be fun to animate, some scenes will be fun to joke about, some good voice work. Uh, and so you have this idea of here is a movie in which the entire playing field of this movie is abstract. It's not where you're looking at the life of this little girl and occasionally there are cutaways to the inside of her head. It's no, no, no. The entire thing exists in a, in, in a world in which they have to invent everything from start to finish, where if they decide that they want to do a scene in which... Everything is just an abstract shape like the dot in the line uh, that Chuck Jones short from the 60s. They can do that. And if they want to invent new rules and break new rules, they can do that too. I mean I I really felt uh, coming out of the theater that this was like a Google moonshot you know, where it's a crazy idea. It shouldn't work. The only way to prove that it's not going to work is to actually try it. And then you find out that oh, I'll be darned, this actually works. Or there there are problems with it, but we can actually fix them. There is nothing more satisfying than walking out of a theater seeing something that you feel as though you've never ever seen before. And that really is what uh, what I how I walked out of uh, this movie.
0: David, what are your
1: uh, initial thoughts about Inside Out? Well, you know, I went into it optimistic because I'm at the point where, you know, they've won my trust. Right? I'll yep. go with them pretty much anywhere, even the sequels okay i mean <laughs> yes cars 2 eh, i'm not gonna watch cars 2 that many times but i didn't hate it you know um and so this you know just sort of like this was the kind of thing i wanted to see them doing 20 years in right you know they're not just doing shrek 5 they're doing something different they're doing something original and they've had a huge opening with it i mean you know forget the stupid dinosaur movie and it really is a stupid dinosaur movie but this is this is the best original movie opening of of you know how many years and it it, it's such a hard sell you know and it's not it's not from 3d tickets and it's not from expensive tickets It's, it's a it's a movie for kids and it's still keeping up with jurassic world pretty well so you know what does that say it's a really good movie and so, so I was optimistic going in. And the thing that, the thing that makes me think it's for kids, though, um, as much as, as we're getting out of it, is that, you know, about, about a third of the way in, I thought, you know, my, my 10-year-old is going to go bananas for this, right? And we all went. So we're all sitting there. And, you know, and I don't talk about this much, but he does have anger issues sometimes. Anger and fear and just, you know just getting very tense and lashing out at sudden moments. And he's never been able to verbalize this or or explain why this happens or when this happens. You know, what is it that triggered it? I don't know. I forgot. Right. And watching this by the end of the movie, he was bananas for it. Right. Because now he had an analogy. Now he had a way to describe what was going on in his head Now he had some way of visualizing what anger could do to him and what could happen if he let the anger get away with it. Right. And that alone, I mean, yeah, we're going to go see the Minions movie. We're not going to get that kind of revelation out of the Minions movie. Um, This was just, you know, I would have loved it as is, but just the insight into his brain for both of us Not just, not just him, but for me and the sea change that's come over him since we've seen it, because now he is able to sort of put the brakes on and say, wait, nope, I'm, I'm letting that get out of control. I can't do that. Or, or to be able to accept sadness. Like, you know, when, when we talked about it afterwards, he was saying, well, I, you know, it made me think of when grandma passed away and I was very sad and I didn't know what to do. And. This, this sort of let him accept that it was okay to be sad sometimes. And that's an important thing for kids. I mean, that is the lesson that joy learns, right? You can't always be happy. You can't always put a smile on it and just get past it. Sometimes you do have to be sad. And a lot of the modern world these days is, oh, just put on a happy face. You'll be fine. And no, it, it, it is okay to be sad. So so I I think I think it's equally for parents and kids. Um, I
0: somebody in the chat room said and I, I had the same thought too that these analogies will be used <laughs> by uh I think lots of people. Um you know and that, that could be good or bad, but I think thinking about your emotions and and how they how they affect you and that and and, and how you access them um having a metaphor for that even if it is something that is taken from a movie could be could be uh, really valuable. And I I, I suspect uh, something that my wife said uh, at dinner tonight, uh, because she knew we were going to be talking about this, was she's already seen just in her daily life, like working at the library, that people come in and, you know, are angry, and she's like yep there's uh, somebody back there you know pushing the anger button that's what's happening and it's just like <laughs> just to personify that a little bit more about how you know why why are people behaving the way they are and thinking at that level about it and 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 creating some imagery around that i think is interesting
1: i mean i thought it was fascinating that if you if you pay attention uh, look at who's the central emotion yeah, I in, in, as well. in each head as yeah. as yep. you see it so like in the bus driver they're all anger but in, in the mother it's sadness. Yep sadness. And in the father is the it's head anger. Mom, yeah. And and that was just
2: that And they didn't away. and they didn't lean on that. They didn't like no. point it out. It was just there. And I noticed it immediately. As soon as they, I had I hadn't noticed it in the trailers, which is a testament to how much this movie wraps you into his world. During the trailers, they showed those same scenes like at the dinner table or whatever. Mm-hmm. Didn't notice at all. Once I was into the movie, the second they cut to inside the mom's head, I said, Wait a second, sadness is in charge in her head. Mm-hmm.
1: Because they've trained you to watch the movie by that point. They've they've gotten you into the conceit. and right. And you know it now. Whereas in the trailer, you just go, oh, funny thing. What did she say? You know. Yeah. And it also kind of made me think, is it possible that the
3: emotions in this world can actually undergo transitions? Because seeing how confident and assured and not mopey sadness was inside her mom's head, does that mean that at some point sadness when you transition into adulthood becomes coping? Hmm. Because yeah. it's, it's, it seemed it seemed like an interesting note that I, that Pixar was saying was, was sending with that.
2: Yeah, they're, they're dressed differently as well, and I really like the uh, the bit at the end. That they do emphasize that the control panel changes significantly. Yeah. More yes. buttons,
0: more yeah. more levels of detail and nuance. Now I right? have access to all the curse words. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a sponsor break. I want to talk to you about our good friends over at Harry's. I like Harry's stuff. I use Harry's products on my face. You know, now that I don't go into an office every day, I might shave every other day. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fast and loose like that. But when I do shave, I shave with Harry's stuff. Now, shaving can be a pain. Uh, bad equipment can make it uncomfortable. You can get razor burn. You can get nicks. I used to go back and forth between uh, different blades of, you know, two blades and three blades and four blades. And sometimes I'd use an electric, but then I'd have to use a blade on top of that. It was ridiculous. It was a, I was I entered a shame spiral of shaving, but now I'm out of it, and Harry's has been a huge part in that. Now, half the price of the big branded blades, that's what you get for Harry's. Harry's is not a super premium, expensive, I can't believe I paid so much for this, it's just a razor blade kind of place, and they'll ship to your front door. They bought the whole factory. They liked the blades they got from the factory in Germany so much that Harry's bought The factory, you get a better shave, it respects your skin, your face, your legs, and your wallet. No more bad quality blades, no more plexiglass cabinets at the drugstore to find a clerk and get them to unlock it. Uh, Great starter set that they've got. $15, you get a razor, you get the moisturizing shave cream, and you get three razor blades. And you can use my promo code, Snell, and get $5 off that for an even more amazing deal. Men, women, it doesn't matter All of us have hair that we want to shave away and we need razors that shave well and do not suck. This is the moment where I have to tell you, um, and I know some people are tired of hearing this from me, but um, I love the shave cream from Harry's. I I love their razor. I use the Harry's razor every day. It's changed the way I shave. I follow their approach. You know, you shave down and then you shave up. Um, But their shave cream, which has got this mild mint scent, Um, I've actually switched from my main, my big brand shaving gel to the shave cream because I like how it feels and I like how it smells. I was very smell sensitive. I don't like, I always buy unscented. It's very hard to find the unscented shaving cream. The Harry's shave cream is scented, but it is very gentle. A very little mint smell that I can smell when it's going on, but by the time I wash my face off at the end of my shave, the smell is gone and it doesn't linger with me all day, which I hate. So I love that about Harry's too. All right, ship to your door, high quality shave, looks and feels great. What more do you need? Go to harrys.com right now, $5 off if you use my coupon code Snell with your first purchase. That's harrys.com and enter coupon code Snell for $5 off. And Thank you so much to Harry's for making men and women have smooth skin without the hassle.
2: The moms, the moms, people are all sitting around the table, all dressed very seriously, on like a huge console, like they're at NASA Mission Control, right? Whereas inside Riley's head, they're dressed more fancifully. Their control panel is more like a Fisher Price toy type of thing. Like at every level, they really thought about all the different things. And some of them ended up being important plot points. Some of them end up being gag lines, and some of them end up unmentioned at all. Like we were just talking about, they just they're just the background of the movie, but they all. In the in the giant like let's brainstorm everything that we can say about the the interior of the mind. It's clear that some of them were elevated to this is going to be an important part of our story, but others were like this is a good idea too. That's just part of the world.
3: But isn't it also isn't it also interesting that you have these the, the islands of what uh, what her world is really all about? I thought I was actually kind of scared when I start to see oh she's losing her ability just to be a nut. Okay, I understand that you become older and your ability to simply say, I don't I, I'll, I just want to spin in circles until I throw up. You lose that, you know. Hopefully, when you get into you know, your teenage years, but then say, "Oh God, she's losing hockey." She's, does that mean that she's not going to be? She, she's going to not want to play hockey anymore. And then when family starts to crumble, that starts. Oh no, does that mean that she's losing her connection, her, her anchors to uh, to reality of, uh, and love? I thought it was really interesting to see that you sort of the, the message, if, if there was one, was that it's not as though these things go away forever, but you rebuild new version of family that includes san francisco now and you have a new version of hockey that doesn't include the people that you were playing with before but you basically you had to destroy the old one in order to build a brand new one that's going to work for you for the next five or six years
2: yeah that's definitely a parent message because the message of all other kids movies is there is some sort of conflict and it's a challenge and you overcome it and you come out the other side and you have have overcome it and this one like i don't know how much kids get from this but like Part of my feeling coming out of the movie was just general, kind of, like there was a definite melancholy because it's like it's emphasizing the thing that we all know as adults is that as you get older, uh, you know, getting a more sophisticated control panel, doing all that stuff, like it comes with sacrifices. Those islands that crumble and fall into the thing, they don't come back up, and the ones that replace them are different. There are parts of yourself that are going to be destroyed in painful ways, not like triumphantly destroyed and a phoenix comes from the ashes, but as in you're never going to get that back that's like sort of the pain of growing up right and kids maybe they're kind of getting it but a lot of kids haven't gone through that yet like and the movie was un unashamedly saying like this part of you is going away and it's sad when it goes away and the things that replace it will be different and not as good and, and, so, and obviously they'll be more sophisticated and more complicated and more interesting and have their own interesting challenges but the old you is dying and the death of the old you is sad and for a kid's movie to have that message is I don't know if it's it's uh it's pretty sophisticated and pretty uh serious I think.
4: Well yeah and the and the message <clears throat> the message of the that that's just to underscore what you're saying. The the message that comes out of that is not that this will be replaced with something even more mature. It'll be replaced with something different and the by analogy it's displacing other things. It's like literally getting rid of them. They're going into the memory dump. They're going to go away. Um, and I think there's, there's something about that. I think that's ultimately what makes this movie. It's why for me, the scenes in the memory dump were the ones that tore my heart out the most was because that whole idea of like, uh, on the one hand as a, you know, it made my kid cry twice because, I mean, the idea of, like, an unloved stuffed animal kind of notion, right? That there's this thing that I, I remember used to, I used to like that now I don't even think about it anymore. Isn't that strange? Even a, a kid can get that. But for for a parent, I mean, there's so many levels that that works on where you find yourself thinking about, I mean, again, like, I, I can't help but think of Toy, Toy Story 3 and especially the you know last act of Toy Story 3 where it's about so much more than, than toys and kids. It's about, I mean, the, the the toys in Toy Story 3 are the parents, we all know that. We're the ones that aren't needed. We're the ones that are going to go in the attic. That's that's the part that becomes so brutal is you're thinking like, I remember actually, eh, I'm going to get emotional, but I remember one day uh, realizing that I don't have that many memories that precede being four or five years old. Yep. And I remember having this day when my kid was in probably just about finishing preschool where I was like, wow, it's very unlikely that she's going to remember Anything that happened to her before this time. She might remember one or two things. There might be things that we help her build a memory about, but like all these things that like constitute my entire relationship with my child are gonna be utterly obliterated. And they say it's around the age of five. Between five and ten is when a huge amount of a child's memories are very naturally kind of wiped away and replaced with kind of new information. So I don't know. I think it works on a lot of levels. And it's 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 you know, but but it can get to a kid too. And it's not, you know, I think that's that's what makes a great Pixar movie is you can take something this weird and abstract and using things like characters that are a certain color can like take this weirdly abstract idea and make it something that's incredibly affecting.
1: Well, and, and you know, the, again, thinking of Toy Story 3, about about halfway through, something in my brain clicked. And now, I mean, I love Toy Story 3. And I've said for years that, I mean, we walked out of that and I went... That's the divine comedy. I mean, it's it's purgatory, uh, paradise and hell. It's all there. And this is almost I, I would love to know if, if anyone involved in it intentionally or unintentionally made it into the pilgrim's progress by John Bunyan. It's it's the same kind of thing, an abstract journey from one place to another and the growth of a person as they run into all these abstract things You've got to say the word, David, it's an allegory. And, it is. It it's, is. It's, 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 it's more than an analogy. Allegory. It's an allegory. Yeah, and and it's it's just so artfully done, and it, it, just being able to to look at this and go, all right, this is this is a little more ambitious than cars
0: too. Well, I mean, th- but I mean, something something about it is is what these characters represent because you could look at somebody like Bing Bong. I gotta right, mention right. Bing Bong, right? Uh, hang on I great, great, great rich great richard kind <laughs> performance too i always liked him i think it just perfectly matched he's an elephant in front and a cat in the back and a dolphin and in the candy. middle somewhere um but uh, a character like that not that different in some ways from you know from your uh your sully and in monsters and ink or something like that right not that di- right. not that different but it's it's what he represents in this story and in in the allegory here and that that this is the the loss of innocence and that he's a he is a, a a purified fragment of childhood sweetness that is doomed yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that sh- uh, I have such respect for Pixar
3: that sometimes to my detriment I think I'm trying to get ahead of the movie and I'm thinking oh bing bong he's pink and none of the emotions are pink so I bet that he gets to like graduate out of this place and he becomes like another part of the control room and he turns into another sort of emotion when really rationally there really was only one way for that for his storyline to end I mean he yeah. he, ha- he he was he was yeah. living he was living where he was living because he had no role and he was lucky to and it's just he, there's he had there's no use for him in the world that was coming
0: as a parent, I immediately saw Bing Bong and he was like a red shirt in Star Trek. I'm like, oh man, oh yeah, because the, <laughs> the, the the imaginary friends don't survive, right? They don't survive. So I immediately was like, oh oh, Big Bong, it's not gonna go well, right <laughs> So I knew that he was doomed going in because I I you know I've seen that. I've seen that and, happen.
2: And like Merlin said, like, uh, you'll bring it up to your kid. Oh, do you remember your imaginary friend or whatever? They'll be like, what are you talking about? I never had an imaginary friend. You remember it because they had it when they were three or four but they have no memory of it at all unless unless you work to keep reminding them of it. And But like, if you wait a couple of years and go, hey, remember when you were three and you had that imaginary friend? They'll be like, what are you talking about? I didn't have a friend. <laughs> like, it, like, it really goes to the memory dump and is, you know, replaced by something else entirely. And the, the, the kid is none the worse for where a little you know it's like paternalism or maternalism like uh, feeling like you ha- are have to protect your child from this but that's that's where this movie hit me a lot as a parent is that all these things that are happening to the kids internal world the things crumbling and the difficulties or whatever in the movie and you know in our hearts we feel like that this is this is our fault somehow. And some of it is like, oh, we got the new job. I had to move to the new city. How does this affect your kid? Everything you do affects your kid in ways you can't possibly imagine. Is it like your fault? These things are happening. And then you want to protect your kids from like, I don't want parts of their world to crumble. I don't want their first day of school to end in tears. And yet, it has to, and you have no control over it, and this is what's going to happen, and should should you never have moved? Should they have to live in a bubble? Like, that? your kid is going to go through all these things and grow up and have the same kind of growing experiences that you do, and you don't want this stuff to happen, but it's going to. And that's why I get kind of the, the melancholy feeling for the parent angle is like, in many respects it's outside the parents control and it's all the parents doing you know indirectly like not really but you you feel that way you know and and you can see them when when the mom tucks in the kid and says you you know thanks for being so happy for us or whatever like you feel terrible if you've ever said something like that because like you know do you realize what you're putting on your kid at that point maybe you do maybe you don't maybe you had a bad day like this is a brutal movie for kids for parents. I feel like and, like that the, the kids are never going to get that. I wouldn't have gotten it. No, you know, ten years ago. Like it's just it's just brutal. Like and and in a way like that the parents in this movie aren't perfect parents who do the right thing all the time. And and the parents aren't saving Riley from all this pain, and they can't. And the, sometimes they're making it worse. And I mean, they come through in the end, and that's all we can hope to do. Man, it's like daggers to
1: the heart. Well, and just like just like accepting for Riley that sadness or for joy rather that sadness is important. Sometimes that's also important for us to accept that we're not going to be perfect parents. We can't be, we can't always save the day. And we just have to know when is the right moment to save the day. You know, at the end of the movie, they come in and, and they do the right thing at the right moment. And it all clicks. Um, and when we, in the memory where she loses the hockey game, they came in at the right moment and they knew how to fix that. Um, and and you know, being able to accept that, yeah, we're going to have those moments, and hopefully we'll have a lot of those, and hopefully that's the majority of the moments we have. But we're not always going to be there. We're not always going to be able to save the first day of school.
3: I don't think it was an accident that in the screening that I went to, there was a. I, I hear I heard a lot more grown-up
1: crying than oh, childhood. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. This is this is one of those.
1: When I looked when when uh, Bing Bong looks down at his arm and it starts fading. And I I do. I, it's like, I know exactly what's going to happen now. And he's going to jump out of the wagon and she's going to get up there. And, and that's the hero's journey, right? The mentor, the friend sort of falls by the wayside to let the hero continue.
3: Not just and, that. That's the
1: that's the parent's journey too,
3: isn't it? And it is. Yeah, it is. It's say, absolutely. I got to let this person go. Yeah. I got to fade away into the background of this person's life. And that's you take her to the moon for, for That's my me. job.
4: And that's exactly what what John was saying, that like I'm f- having to re-realize every day is that the better I am at my job, the more I am figuring out the right times to stay completely out of the way, which is a very difficult thing to accept, much harder than I than I ever expected. And in a case of something like that, it's uh, we talked about this last night on uh, Twitter a little bit, Andy, but the uh, just the fact that the way, to use a wrestling term, the way Bing Bong sells it, I love that he's not sad in the pit. That's what makes it kind of eight to 12 times worse is that he's like, she's going to be okay. Is like, don't feel bad. You know, he doesn't have to say, don't feel bad about me. His, the whole implication is my whole job is to be here. I serve at her pleasure and like, just go, go take her to the moon for me. You know, like go do it. This, this is our job. This is what we yeah. do. He,
3: he died with a sword and the shield in his hand, which is everything that you kind of want to do.
4: Also the, yeah. the, um,
0: parents so my kid, i i i took my kids to see this and they they enjoyed it but i think i think very much it was one of those things where they found it enjoyable and have thought about the emotion stuff afterward but it, the there is that emotional kick that parents get that the kids don't get and i think it stems from uh we talk about toys you mentioned that, that. and and i was thinking about this uh, when i was putting my son to bed the other night that you know his toy that he sleeps with every night um to him is something that he's going to give up at some point. And it's going to become kind of an abstract fond memory of like, Oh yeah, I had that monkey that, that, you know, slept or gibbon or whatever, whatever it is, an identifiable primate that, (laughs) that, that he has uh, next to his bed every night. And and for him, that's going to kind of fade away. and, And, and that'll be that for me, that thing is a representation of his childhood. And so in the end, it's way more sentimental for me. It's way more important emotionally for me than it is for him. Even though I don't need to have it next to my bed when I go to sleep. He does. In the end he will put it away. And that's that's all the stuff that I'm thinking about when I'm when I'm looking at at Bing Bong is yeah. is, you know, his job is to be is to fade away. But, you know, as a parent, you also, you know, you mourn him fading away because that's childhood fading away. Well, it's like I've I've got
1: this Paddington Bear sitting on my nightstand that I've had for thirty five years, and so he's still there. I haven't I haven't totally put him away, but when I was little, he had a voice. He had a personality. He interacted, right? You know, I was doing the whole Jim Henson thing with him, and it had nothing to do with the actual Paddington books or anything. He it was this his totally different personality. That's good because that would be unauthorized fan fiction, David. So. Yes, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. Hmm. Um, we won't talk about the Star Trek playset. Um, <laughs> but a couple of years ago, you know, I, I picked him up and I thought, you know, can I still do the voice? Because, you know, that was before my voice changed. So it was a very high sort of furry voice. And and I was able to approximate it, but he sounded older and he didn't, the, you know, the character didn't quite come all the way back. And it wasn't quite the same. And And obviously I don't play with him all day long because you know I'm not nine anymore. Um I know it's hard to believe. Um, and 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 that was the, it was a similar kind of sadness for me that that it was like all right this was a huge part of my life. This was a, a very important thing to me at one point. And it's not that I've forgotten him. It's not that I've let him go completely, but I can't quite get that back. And and that's not going to come back and it and it's okay that it doesn't come
4: back. Well that's the irony is that even I've still got my first and second stuffed animal. They've both been passed on. I was a big mm-hmm. fan of stuffed animals. They've both been passed on oh, to my yeah. kid. One of them is a stuffed dog my parents got me when I was in the hospital when I was two. And the other one is a teddy bear that I had a few years after that. And even though I, I look at them and it's a husk of what it was because it doesn't, ha- it doesn't mean the same thing. So that's the other part of this is even if you are like a memory hoarder and you keep all of this stuff around, the, the, the essence of what made that thing special when you're a kid is gone because you're not a kid anymore. And that's... That that's ultimately the sadness inside of the sadness is that, you know, you got, would you want to still be really into that stuffed animal? Well, no, but there's a part of you that knows that that's gone, that is in the memory dump and will never come back. Even if Bing Bong were still around, that would be like a cute thing. We think about twice a year, but that that's, that's the part that really gets me is that, and I don't know, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about the mechanics because it sounds so obvious, but like to talk about the mechanics of how you take this really abstract idea and using things as simple as these um, avatars and these colors—the way the role of color in this is so important—to where by the end, I mean, like I, my note here, my my first note I wrote down, like the the moment I see a memory that's blue and gold, I'm um, like mm-hmm. that is one of the most brilliant cinematic strokes I've ever seen. I but just like, started you, crying. You explain right, but you explain that to somebody, and it sounds it sounds so trite, it sounds so silly. But like the the ability to take all those incredibly abstract, emotionally heavy ideas, but then create. What you can call it, what you want—the mechanics or the or the the world building—a a visual language. Yeah,
0: right. Time for a sponsor break. Let me tell you about Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Now, you spend about a third of your life. This is a biological fact, unless you're some sort of vampire. Sleeping, you should do it on a good mattress. But when you go to a mattress store, you might lay down on a mattress for a minute or two. People start looking at you funny if you lay down for an hour or two and actually sleep on those mattresses, so you have to make a guess when you're not in a good position to judge. Casper solves the problem of a good feeling mattress and the problem of trying out a mattress. Both of these things are solved by Casper the Casper mattress itself has two great technologies that have been that have been brought together in this product there's latex foam on top it's very nice, very comfy, and memory foam underneath so what they say is it's got just the right sink on top, just the right bounce, a lot of support no matter how you sleep. Now, the, the other part, there's a risk-free trial and return policy. Casper will deliver a mattress straight to you in a box, shipped to your door, and you can try it for 100 days. And if you're not happy, they'll pick it back up. They'll take it away. So you can decide. If you're afraid, you're like, oh, I don't know how it's going to feel. I don't know if I'm if I'm going to like it. Try it. And if you don't like it, you just send it back. Pretty neat. They sent one to me uh, in that little box. Opens and expands to fill the space. We got a queen-size mattress. Put it in our bedroom. Replacing our old king-size mattress. And uh, it's super comfy. I, I, I can only tell you the truth. I would not lie to you. My friends, podcast listeners, uh, it's actually a really comfortable mattress and I'm very happy to have my Casper mattress. Now, Casper mattresses, now how much would you pay? The answer is a lot less than you'd pay at a premium mattress store. $500 for a twin all the way up to 950 for a king. You compare that to the industry averages, it's a good price. And now you can make it even better by getting $50 off any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell. That's my last name and using code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for sponsoring the incomparable. This is a difficult, this is a high difficulty thing, high degree of difficulty, right? If you're in the Olympics and you you try a dive, that's got a certain number of flips, right? They say it's a high degree of difficulty. This is that uh, to me that it's hard um, a little bit, I think, getting started. It is, I think it shows the skill that the story department. Has that the brain trust has that 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 Pixar has in building these things because you need to have done this is pro level stuff you need to have done a lot of these to to get this right and I do think they get it right because there is so much world building in the first fifteen minutes where they have to show you the mechanics of what happens inside the head and how it how it works outside in the in the person that the the balls go around and there's the thing that goes to long term memory and there, there's the core thing that happens with the core memories that glow and. I I have to admit that there was a moment where I thought wow this, there was a lot of information here like this is this is complicated it 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 passed pretty quickly and after about 10 or 15 minutes I thought well you know even if that was a lot of work now it's all payoff because now I understand how this world works but it was it is not a simple you know it's not like what would it be like to be an ant <laughs> it, right it's it's a little more complicated than that hey
2: the toys come to life They leaned on the thing we do understand, which is we understand how people are born and their babies and they grow. So they started out with the baby and the control panel with the one button and the one emotion of joy and then switching to, you know, like... They, I think it was a brilliant way to introduce the world because if they had dumped you right into Riley with her suite of people and her control panel, it might have been a lot to take in, but by bringing you, by taking you through, oh, she was a baby and she had one button and it was basically she was happy or she was sad and it moved up and it became, you know, like, that That, that sort of brings you along. It tells It tells you the rules of the world by analogy to stages of development that you do understand, and then we spend most of the movie in the however old she is, nine-year-old or ten-year-old, and that that feels comfortable to us because we've advanced through you know all the other things and showing they did a couple of like montages you know of of the world building inside and things happening outside and that is a pretty even split between inside outside inside outside with like a voiceover and and the the whole setup i felt like it was very smooth i didn't feel overwhelmed at any point uh, and I, I I saw a little bit of the wires of how they were doing it, but I thought that was fine because, uh, like I said, by the time by the time they were up to any of the scenes that were in the trailer, I was completely sold on, on the mechanics of, of how they were going to do the movie. Like, it was just second nature by that point.
3: Yeah. I, I had some drive-home thoughts that I kind of batted away, thinking that, well, it doesn't make sense that if this is true, then maybe that shouldn't have been true. And then they stated a rule at the beginning that didn't seem to be consistent at the end, but... It's. It's. I mean, you're right. It really is about degree of difficulty. Where the overall impression that this movie made on me was such that it doesn't matter. It's. This is like arguing that uh, that a tomato is not actually a vegetable. You've just sound. You're technically correct, but you sound foolish because you're not able to see the reality uh, that's around you. Uh, And there's just. I mean, so much that's deeply resonant. I mean, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't have kids. Uh, and after a movie like this, uh, that is one of those times where I am uh, I am impelled to say, uh, compelled to say uh, that uh, I'm, I'm sad that I don't have kids. Uh, and even, th- even there, there's uh, a lot of deep resonance for uh, the people that you feel as though you were you serving roles. Uh, you're hoping that you're serving a certain role in people's lives. You're hoping that you're doing the right job for them. Uh, in your own life, you recognize the times when Boy, that was really, really tough when I did that thing that I had to do and part of me did crumble away and die uh, and it was replaced by something else but it was it's, – it's not correct to call it necessarily something better but it is something different and that's just sort of the natural way of things. And there are very few – I mean there – I can't think of many movies that are intended for kids that can really just set its hooks that deeply in you. Uh, one, one of the complaints that uh, I've been reading off and on online is that uh, this is not something that kids are really going to get, but that's okay. There, How many great movies have I seen where I enjoyed them on a certain level when I was 9, 10, or 11, but only when I became an adult and had different perspective was I able to really see everything that was going on. It, be, it just opens new layers as you get uh, more layers of sophistication in
2: your own self. This is a ticking time bomb for kids. Yeah. yeah. I'll watch it now, and then when they're 30
4: and they have their own kids, they're going to watch it again and go, oh, my God, this movie is <laughs> destroying me. What is happening? I'm seeing it again for the first <laughs> time. The, the the other part, I, I agree with you, Andy, and there's times where I thought, like, hmm, you know, in that world building, if uh, if sadness touches something, it's supposed to turn blue. That doesn't always happen. I had the same kind of thoughts, but there's another part of me, and this is, I guess, my is Kiki, Kiki really talking to the cat part for this one. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it wouldn't be a visit without me doing that. Actually, I have a Kiki cat thing. I have a Kiki note, to well. right, too, so, yeah. But the um, but there's a part of me that also thinks as somebody who is very interested in the idea of mindfulness. Uh, as I get older and I think more about where emotions come from, the the movie the conceit of the movie that really that works is that there's this control panel in your head and your emotions are guiding what you do. The thing that they couldn't do without overcomplicating it is the idea that we also do have control over our emotions, right? So like when my daughter and I were talking about it tonight, I was telling her I was kind of stressing out. I was like, oh, I don't really have that many smart things to say about this. What should we talk about? And I was telling her how, like, she said, well, you know, she really liked the scene where anger um, goes and gets the light bulb. How great is that? Oh, yeah. And and plugs it in. And it's like, we were like, well, yeah, but, you know, anger's anger's doing the best he can in that case. But, like, think about what really happened there. What we say is, well, anger had this idea that we can fix this logistical problem, a problem of the mechanics of the film, basically. We fix this problem by running away. And that's the story. But let's say what really happened. Um, Riley was mad. So she decided to run away from home. Like, when you put it in those terms, like any other movie, that wouldn't be as interesting. But in this case, there is this interplay between, like, I don't know how you talk about the different parts of ourselves, you know, without sounding like a loon. But, like, we do have... Some control over our emotion, emotions, emotions and, and awareness of our emotions, and we can, with practice, get good at deciding who gets to push the button. And I, but I mean, I think if they'd added that as an overt thing, that O'Reilly was like that, Riley was uh, sending you know uh, something in a pneumatic tube that they had to all agree on. Like that, that's not the point. The emotions are these different. Island, not island, sorry, um, term of art. But these, these, these different characters with these different jobs, these different roles. But we as people, as we get older, have more and more executive function over what those emotions will, will do. So, you know, the mechanic that they couldn't add without overcomplicating it is that Riley also has an impact on her own emotions. And as she gets older, she'll have more and more ability to do that. And but but I I think I'm glad they didn't overcomplicate that. I'm glad they gave us the mechanics to understand the vocabulary of how this movie is telling the story. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know what, like you said, Andy, like, I I don't care if it's all exactly right, according to the rules. If it feels right, it feels emotionally right that this is this is how it feels to be a person.
0: The beauty of the uh, of screwing in the light bulb there is that, you know, you have Moments of crystallization that come from an emotion. And then you move from there and you have to act on them. And I felt like that was the metaphor that we really got with screwing in the anger light bulb. As, and then you can't get the light bulb unscrewed. Yeah, anger <laughs> right. gave her the idea, which was you could run away. And then she acts on it, right? But it, it's I, I liked that idea that it's like this is a gem of an idea f- that comes out of anger. Um, but anger's not in the driver's seat the whole time after that. It's just like that was the moment that and and you know i think we all feel that where you you have an idea and if you are mindful enough if you if you are enough connected to your own emotions you can be like all right i know where this is coming from and i can you know i can manage this idea and if you have and if you have less of that then you just act out because that idea is there but i think it's interesting the way the way it's 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 visually Ah, uh, put in the movie with the light bulb that goes in. It's like oh, we're going to let anger put this in there, and then it's in there, and it's and and
1: and and you're on the path at that point. She's on that. path. Well, and I think some of that is is latent. That uh, if you if you think about it, where do they all sit in Riley's head? They're all kind of running around haphazardly. Whereas by the time you get to the mom's head, they all have seats at a console, right? right. They're organized. They're in their roles. They're, they're in charge. clothes. They yeah. know what they're doing. And and some then have when mustaches. you see some have. Well, yeah. <laughs> when when you get to see the other adult characters and into their heads and and you know to varying degrees but they're they're in much more of a controlled much more of an organized fashion than in any of the the kids heads or the animals heads which i guess we'll get to later um i hope we get to later cuz i love the cat uh but so i think that is there but again they didn't they didn't call a lot of attention to it they didn't go hey look at us we're we're doing this extra layer of organization to these characters they just they let it be and they focused on riley's emotions which i thought was was the right thing
3: and, and it definitely works i mean what i liked about anger is that it's it again messages being being taught by the movie if, if it's not necessarily correct uh, psychologically but you have to sort of there's a resonance to the fact that anger does the best that anger can just like joy does the best that joy can where joy's answer to everything is well what if we just force ourselves to be happy anger is like i've got to do something now i've got to do something active i've got to do something aggressive Uh, and of course his uh, his aggression wasn't simply to run away but i'm going to all of our memories are back home well we'll just go back home and we'll get them back again without understanding that no you can't go backwards you can only uh, you can only really go forwards Um, but it's i think that one of the uh, most important things about this movie one of the most healthy things about this movie is understanding that the emotions that in a lesser movie would have been the villain, sadness and anger, teaming up just to undermine, uh, und- undermine Riley at every, at every event, this is, the statement here is that no, 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 both of these emotions have a seat at the table. I mean uh, one of the many things that you reflect upon when you think about the, I will say, saintliness of Mr. Rogers is that he one, – one of his best songs was, you know, have you ever been so angry that you wanted to just bite and a, an entire segment basically telling kids, don't be afraid of your anger. Don't be ashamed of your anger. You were you, the, reason, the, the reason why your brain is wired to be angry about things sometimes is because it's a natural emotion. And so it ha- you have to uh, – you don't always have to express it, but you always have to process it. And so if uh, – I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but the, I've, uh, one of the other things that uh, struck me immediately – when i was coming out of this movie was that i had no idea that one day i would say that the most brilliant scene i've ever seen in animation ever was the scene was a scene in which three people simply hug each other mm. because that is just the weight of 10,000 anvils just striking the ground outside your house your house shaking everything And the the subtlety in which this was not only it was the the great subtlety with which this was rendered and animated, the performances that Pixar got out of those three actors, and also the importance of that simple thing—the entire movie comes together with a hug. And I'm sure that anyone who's listening to this has already uh, heard this before, but just in case, I won't uh, give the context. But the fact that this was all what the movie was about. It's not. There's going to be a. There's going to be a frantic car chase through San Francisco, and there's going to be uh, cars that are going to be leaping over hills, and there's going to be a big helicopter shot over the over the bridge as they chase after something or other. It's going to be – no. It's going to be. It's going, this is going to crisis is going to end the way that would end for real, and it's going to end in the most difficult way to write and the difficult way to act. And that, both as an emotional closer to the storyline, and also a representation of everything that makes this a truly great movie, it's all there in three and a half minutes.
2: That's why this movie it doesn't ends up not being completely devastating to parents because for most of the movie, from the parents' perspective, you see that this child is is in trauma and in, in in free fall practically. The the whole world that these parents work to build up in her they built they built her a happy life they built her into a healthy happy person with hobbies and interests and achievements and skills and a personality and as it's all crumbling down you see how how powerless the parents are to do anything about it and how little awareness they even have that things are that things are going wrong and it's like a horror movie for parents and the to to bring it back at the end is like to give you hope to say even though parents you're going to be clueless and you're going to be dealing with the moving truck that's lost and you're not going to understand that your child is is growing up and these things are happening and like you know in the end if you are just there at the right time with like that you don't have to that, that these things are going to happen and they're going to be bad uh and it's not hopeless. It's not because at a certain point in the movie it seems hopeless. At a certain point in the movie you're like, "Well, that's it. This kid's going to be a serial killer. Like, you know, they're <laughs> they're just going to, you know, forget it. Just sign the kid up. Like, it's just it's so so. You know, but this is how it feels inside the kid's head, and the parents are busy with other things. And it's like, is there anything we can do? Is it hopeless? And it's like, you're if you're not there ninety percent of the time, if you're just there for the ten percent, if you're just there when it counts for that hug at the end, right? To like that, that can shore everything up, and that can help build new islands. And that you know the the, the mixed memory with the blue and, and the yellow thing. Or in a lesser movie, the triumphant return of the orbs—they would have been super bright, not just right. yellow. But look, when now you're an older person, they're super bright. No, they're never going to be that bright again. They're always like they're always going to be darker like that. You know, it's not—they're not going to be super shiny, triumphant white light streaming out of them. That's not the end of this movie the parents aren't going to be that white light for the thing. Like the parents are just absent or screwing up for most of the movie. Don't even know their kid is gone frantically looking for them. And just, you know, in that moment, it tells you parents, (laughs) there is hope. Like it's terrible and everything. And you're probably doing a bad job a lot of the time. But if you're, if you know, if you get the basics, right, if you're there when you need to be, that there is, there is hope. I still felt it, it, you know, large overwhelming sadness coming out of this movie, but that hopeful part at the end makes it not a, a,
1: a downer of a movie at all. Well, another thing I loved about the, the rebuilt islands and, and they they are different and they're bigger and, you know, with different shapes and buildings and everything is, is the thought. And, and I mean, this has been uh, it, it, studies have been talking about this for a while that uh, we kind of rewrite our memories all the time we We don't always have every detail and and the sharpest details might stay there, but then you remember someone who's wearing a different colored shirt than they actually wore, or you remember you remember a pet who was there who wasn't actually there, or little things like that and I loved how the rebuilt islands i mean yes, she still had a family island, but it was different, and she still had. The sports area, and it was different. And, you know, it, it, so it was a nice evolution. Um,
4: but they were, the colors were so much more muted. Everything yes. was
1: less less whimsical. If she had a sibling born,
2: her family island would have crumbled to dust instantly. I've seen this happen. <laughs> crumbled crumble to dust instantly. <laughs> and you need a new family island that has room for this other person on it. And where the hell did they come from? Like, even just something as simple as that, which, again, like, it's one of the ideas that could have been up on the big board. Like, you got it, you can't fit in what you could fit in the movie. But, like, so much of that, that island analogy and just, like, watching them crumble and watching the new ones be built, like, that... That fits so well with so many experiences of that particular phase of childhood. Poor Riley having to share that
3: crummy little attic room with a with a brother or a sister. Oh my god!
2: <laughs> it's been it has been known to happen. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, the, my my Kiki's cat thing, by the way. The sophistication that I kept thinking they were going to go to. Well, I did, actually, by the time I got into the movie, I realized they weren't going to go to it. and the same reason they weren't. You know, like there's lots of ideas that can be up on the big board that can fit in this movie. They didn't go to this one, and it's a good idea because going in this direction does not get you anywhere good. But like inside the head of every one of those individual emotions of course are a bunch of other emotions right that are you know who's who's running anger like that's it's not the executive function thing that merlin was talking about but it's close because like once you're doing this kind of modeling thing that every sort of actor has these individual components with a control board that just recurses and then you're off to the races All right. so they didn't do that even for like a little stinger a post-credit sequence they didn't do that but i i think you could do some fun stuff
4: or, with that. you could add in like uh i'm cribbing some of this from uh, slate Cult- culture gab fest but add in like lust or maybe ambivalence <laughs> well that's that pre-puberty it, it saves them from a lot of that stuff that's why they, they have the, the gags at
2: the end if you get into it post-puberty yes you need more players at the table which right. is a little bit weird why you'd see on the parents control panels a similar suite of people but you know again
0: <laughs> scope you got you gotta fight scope creep here well you know they do say that like t- taste is made up of like four different Four different components in different degrees, right? So it's like the varying degrees, but you're right. Then the, there are subcomponents inside disgust and anger, and they, they interact in different
1: ways. And and they, they combine, they team up in different ways, like schadenfreude. What is that a combination
4: of? Pete, Pete Doctor was talking about this, I think. Oh gosh, I've heard so much about this, I forget. Maybe on Fresh Air. But was talking about, I guess, originally, if you guys know, jump in. But originally, it was supposed to be joy, or ha- I guess happiness and fear. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be yeah. the two main characters. Do you guys have any color on that?
1: Yeah. One, well, and I'm I'm sure that was part of the idea behind casting Amy Poehler and Bill Hader together because we know they play well together.
0: So uh, it, it was, uh, they, they had a moment where they realized that Sadness was a player that needed to be in here. And that's when, that's when everything changed, apparently.
2: Yeah. And the, the thing about Sadness in the movie is they give her kind of a dual role as like, the touching things and turning things blue is like, oh, is this the thing that makes you sad? But then when she shows like it, it we're talking about like the the sophistication of the layout inside uh the thing where in Riley's head they're just kinda running around, no one knows what to do. At one point Joy is drawing a truck circle on the ground and trying to put like that is that is a child sophistication of dealing with their emotions. Like, maybe I can put sadness in a little chalk circle, and you stand... Like, they have no idea what they're doing. Like, is this how this <laughs> works? maybe there's no role for this? If you just stand over here, okay, you just don't touch anything, and let me do this, and I'll just take over... Like, they have no idea how anything is going to work. Uh, and so later, when sadness show When she talks to Bing Bong and makes Bing Bong feel better, she doesn't make Bing Bong feel sad by touching him. Oh, sadness, touch Bing Bong, he feels bad. No, like, the function of... It's not like she is the source of sadness. She is how Riley deals with sadness, how it's not, she understands sadness, right? It's just like joy uh, understands joy. And so when she talks to Bing Bong, she's like, joy can't help Bing Bong feel better. Hey, look at me, Bing Bong. aren't you all happy? No, Bing Bong's not happy. He's sad and joy uh, and sadness. sits down next to him and talks. to She
4: she can't, she can't help. That's not that. That's her role. And she is useless to damaging. And that's it. It's, it's, It's like the kind of person well, yeah, and that, that's the beauty part is when, when you get to where it's, it's like the same thing you eventually learn as an adult is like when somebody has somebody in their family die, don't tell them buck up. You know, don't tell them, you know, the only thing, the only consolation I have to offer anybody is I hope someday this feels less bad. And that's, that's the only thing you can really say to somebody, you know. And, but like the, the, revel again, the, the mechanics to me are, are what I obsess about having watched this twice now, just the scrubbing when you're scrubbing on the emotion and it's that moment of where you scrub back and it turns blue and you go, okay, it's, it's my sadness that made on the twisty tree that made these people come to me like that, that has, that, that is more than just like a, a piece of damage to be repaired. Like this has a role in making me a whole person. Can we talk about the user interface of emotion orbs for a moment?
2: Yeah, I think they got the scrolling, the scrolling
4: <laughs> was, directions wrong.
2: It was nice that they could do that with like that's that's sort of a modern you know it's one of the first things i have seen in a movie. where like they can oh they can do that without explaining it because everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, swiping yeah. on a glass it's a smartphone
0: thing. interface for
2: emotions. Apple yeah, we'll try to sue him still though.
0: Yeah, so I, I like I just I thought that was really interesting. And as a shorthand, yes, John, it was one of those things of like oh. Uh, we all get this now, but that that you just swipe with your finger to go backward and forward through the emotion. I thought that was just really clever, but also funny that, you know, in, in the intervening, however many years it is now, we all totally get that metaphor.
2: Yeah, our, our version of that is a telephone. Like if anyone picked up something and pretended it was like a telephone or any sort of communication device that involved picking up something with a cord and holding it to your head, like that was ours that you could do. It. And now apparently it's anything glass you can rub with your finger and, and make things go forward and back. <laughs> But that, but that was such a brilliant metaphor
3: too because I mean, that, that it's just so universally true that um, you can have a memory that was – that is just an awful memory and then 10 years later it becomes a good memory because that was an awful time. But you know what? I actually responded in a way that makes me very, very proud and I think I learned something from that and that can that can make you happy. And then you have memories of uh, – that are just bursting with joy uh and then unfortunately you lose the family memory that the the family member that uh was part of that memory and it's hard to look at that photo again and not feel sad that okay, I'm not gonna be able to see this person ever yeah, again.
4: Exactly.
1: And yeah. it's natural. I mean that that was one of the things we were talking about afterwards with the kids where uh again think about sadness and thinking about when their grandmother passed away and now it's been a couple of years. And obviously the one the one kid is older than the the other. And, but they're both, they have, they have memories of her, but it's not quite as sharp now. And, 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 you know, the older one was, was worried about that. He said, what if I forget about her? And I said, you won't forget about her. You're not going to remember every day that you spent with her. And, and that's okay because you're going to meet other people and and you're going to have more life, you know. Um, But just the thought that there was, there was fuzziness to his memories that was sort of that sank in with this movie. He hadn't really thought about that before.
0: Uh, the whole um, selective memory thing, which again is the this idea that all of us have to process our memories and things go to long-term memory from short-term and, so, and then things get weeded out and, and, and trying to conceptualize that in some way um, and do it with jokes, do it with funny jokes. I was very impressed by that. The, 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 um, You know, like, let's just keep heart and soul and chopsticks and lose all the other piano pieces that we know. know, That was just I was I was super I was laughing and also super impressed that this was getting across this concept um, with jokes. That's like, wow. Again, degree of difficulty. I was very impressed. Um, My Kiki related thing, by the way, since it's all about Kiki's delivery service, even when it's not, (laughs) um, is I wanted to bring up this is a film without a villain. And one of the things I love about Kiki's delivery service is there's no villain. It is about her, uh, Kiki's internal struggle and coming of age. And this is a movie like that. I mean, there is an internal struggle in in this film, but it's dramatized. The characters are the internal struggle, which is kind of interesting. But even there, there's no real villain. Um, Joy thinks sadness is the villain, but sadness isn't the villain.
4: Which is Which is exactly what Joy should think. Right.
3: I, I think it's just I think it's just that joy is, and here and here's where Amy Poehler and whoever's writing her dialogue, uh, just, they just deserve awards. It's she's pushy, she's bossy, she really does think that her job, that the job of all of them is to keep uh, keep Riley happy, and that's how that's going to be the solution to everything. And I don't think she's so much bullying sadness, so much as hoping that the team is going, feeling as though sadness is going to be holding the team back. And it, and she really does, and any other actress, I think, Amy Amy Poehler, she's just smiling and giggling. If she's telling you that you got eight months to live, it just comes out in a happy way. It's and non-threatening. Um, I just don't think that it's a very very soft balance they did between making her the bully and just making the point that. Joy is just clueless about anything that does not involve being
0: happy. It's a fine line to walk in the fact that your main characters in this film can't really grow. I mean, they can, right. in a way, in in getting some of their, their nuance uh, and getting some of the rough edges sanded off, but... You know joy doesn't turn into sadness. Joy learns how to live with sadness. And in a normal character in a film you you wouldn't treat like this. And I think that I'll add that to the difficulty scale too is that these are mm. emotions personified. They can't have the same character progression. Uh,
2: I think they can because like the in the adult versions they're more chill. Like I said like the the, the the idea the well, they actual stand it image, off, yes, but the, they still the, have
0: their roles that they have to play.
2: Well, the actual image of joy drawing a chalk circle on the ground trying to put sad and it is such a visual manifestation <laughs> of so many mental, uh, so many poor coping strategies that adults have. Forget about kids that totally. adults have, oh, that, yeah. that this is a viable strategy, that if I find sadness and put it, it in the circle and draw the circle around it, then I'll be happy all the time. Like, it, never mind the kids thing. I think that's a level of sophistication kids aren't don't have in their own head. But certainly many adults, like, that. The, their strategy for dealing with those guys running around their head is just is terrible and like and there's no manuals on the wall like they have here of like trying to you know like what you want is these all these characters to get to the point where they're all sitting nicely at the console all with their hands on the controls at appropriate times being called on to you know like working as a team versus in you know in in riley's head where they're adversarial and there's still the possibility that one is going to be like you know like what is our goal our goal is to do exactly is, you know our goal joy defines our goal our goal is to make Riley happy all the time because that was a viable strategy when she was a baby and either you're angry because you're you're uh, hungry or something or you know like that 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 was the and everyone else was like subservient to joy but it's like well you know we want, we all want Riley to be happy right like the whole idea that when you're a kid you think that being happy is the state that you're supposed to be and that you're all you know Everything is working towards you should be happy all the time. And that is not a a good strategy for adults to have because it's just – it will make you miserable in the end. And so it's nice, with the exception of maybe the bus driver, that the adults (laughs) seem to have settled into a a job description for all their different components – that is reasonable and that involves all of them, that one has not come to dominate. Even though Sadness is in charge in the mom, mom is not sad all the time. Sadness is very articulate and discussing things, and they work as a team to get mom to do things.
3: Well, that's very appropriate because the mission of a child keeps changing every year, year and a half, whereas the mission of an adult, maybe as soon as you have kids, it's pretty... There's there's very little that changes for decades, so nothing provokes a team to gel together understand what each one's role is as consistency and I think that's part. I think there's a stability that 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 helps out that scenario. That uh, remember one of the biggest laughs at the end comes where the new dashboard comes in and there's a button marked puberty that's covered with the you know sir turn your key launch yeah. system <laughs> no, no don't touch that yet uh, and you just know that the sequel to this is just gonna be really really harsh for
2: for everybody inside <laughs> that poor head. Yeah, that that was the best uh, visual gag line I think with the 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 inside of the boy's head who's just his puberty <laughs> yes. button hasn't. Uh, hasn't been shockingly yet. shockingly accurate shockingly but it is accurate chaos in there girl, it's just like the, girl, the cat one was girl. funny but like it's just they're, they're running on the ceilings they're just you know their hair is on fire <laughs> it's a complete chaos uh yeah that that was a, a beautiful visual representation of i mean this this is what animation can do right is vi- yeah. yeah. v- visual gags like you get the pay after you've established this world. I love that they saved most of those to the end. It's like we've we've told the story we're going to, te- to to tell. We have a bunch of really funny ideas for gags that didn't fit in the rest of the movie. Here they here are the best three of them.
3: I felt like that might have come from uh, earlier drafts of the script. Like maybe one of the. Approaches to the story they threw out was that you get to see you get to see inside all kinds of people's heads right. before they figure out that no, we really need to make it. It's all about Riley, and we're gonna peek into for for for, for effect. We're gonna uh, take peeks once or twice, but uh, you you got him. I I felt maybe as though there is going to be a there was supposed to be a scene with the the, the pizza clerk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a scene with the uh, and a scene with these uh, with a, with a bus driver uh, because it's the waste baskets at Pixar they're really good waste baskets they the, <laughs> they throw things in there and DreamWorks and Fox are like yeah why don't we we'll
1: empty that for you make a whole movie out of that gag and I mean the the beautiful part of it is that you have. This, this overwhelming and melancholy and sadness by the end. And then they give you all these quick gags to just sort of leave you on a grace note and just yeah, like give, right, you, yeah. give you a chance to recover.
3: The family's going to be OK. We're not going to leave you worried that
1: there's going to be har- horrible,
0: more horrible things coming. Yeah,
1: and, you know, I, I loved the, the glimpse in the, in the boy's head. But I still love the cat. Yeah, th- this is your.
0: I-, <laughs> I wanted to bring up some things about this, but this is also your time to talk
1: about the cat, um, this David. <laughs> yes. The the thing I love about that is that all of the all of the emotions in the cat's head couldn't care less, and it just happens to be that the fear cat is just walking on the console and just kind of, and you come back and the cat spazzes out, and you're like. Yes, this was this was made by cat owners. They know. Yeah, they know. They know how it works. So, so I I think it's an interesting theory
0: that there used to be more of this. Um, the end credits is a very nice uh, way to use the end credits to be like this is the logical extension, and we're gonna of of this premise, and now we're gonna use it to drop in these these jokes. But I want to talk briefly. At least I want to mention the scene early on, or, or the scene in the at the what is it the dinner table where we see everybody's. Uh, pilots everybody's emotions and because that is a scene that struck me as as kind of breathtaking in its um in the information density and in the like like i've only seen the movie once i imagine that's a scene that i could watch 20 times and get something different every time and even watching it the one time i thought oh my god this is like on a whole other level because there's so much in such a short period of time. And there there are funny gags and and you let it wash over you and you laugh at it. But I also was just so impressed with there are so many layers there that you were seeing you're you were getting a brief glimpse into everybody else and how they work too. And then you're sort of swept away and you go back to the plot. And and it's done at that one moment and it's done basically for laughs. But at the same time, there's so much in there and there's no time to dwell on it. We just move on. I was just I that 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 is the one scene that really uh, left me uh, breathless, basically like, oh, my God, what did I just see? I cannot believe I just saw that. And, you know, if I was watching it on a on a on a DVD or something, I would back it up and watch it again several times. I was very impressed by that. Um. I, i'm gonna i'm gonna list some other things that that i, I don't think we've talked about that, that i at least wanted to mention john at one point earlier mentioned his train of thought um mm-hmm. <laughs> i i i enjoyed the train of thought i thought that was a, again another another kind of <laughs> funny gag that 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 also had had meaning and it was a nice i love it when you can when you can make the jokes also be meaningful and yeah, there's a like lot of that the, in this. the
4: facts and opinions. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that yeah. got a big laugh uh, the two times I saw it. Oh
0: yeah, that's a that's <laughs> a really good one. Um, uh, Pixar is based in Emeryville, um, which is across the bay from San Francisco. There are lots of San Francisco and Silicon Valley jokes in this, um, at the expense of San Francisco and Silicon Valley in general. And <laughs> I thought talking about was really are you talking funny. about Brang. I, I want my Brang T-shirt. You ruined pizza, too, San Francisco. Congratulations, San Francisco! Francisco. Yeah. You ruined, ruined pizza! And it's just—it's uh, done very knowingly, and that's the beauty. <laughs> I, I've heard some people who are like, they make fun of San Francisco, you live there. And I'm like, yeah, they live here, too. They know exactly what they're... This is surgical precision The uh, the, 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 the,
4: the depiction of the entire feeling of moving to San Francisco was so yep. great, so <laughs> perfect. Welcome and to so, Greyland. So timely. <laughs>
1: um, but I, I will say... My wife was annoyed because she loves white pizza with broccoli. Oh. So, and she got it in the East Coast. So, well, but
2: the, said, the best place. That pizza place only sold that kind of pizza. That was right. the key. The yeah. key point right. It's not just that they they ruined pizza by putting broccoli on it, but that is the only kind of pizza that place yeah, sells. Of
0: course, and I just, I just said it was a kid. Clear. It was plausible. And and you yeah. know, Dad's got to start up with funding, and that's why they moved. And it's all you know. Thank you, Silicon Valley, for ruining. Riley's life. Yeah. And
2: and the Kiki plot of the movie, like what happens in this movie? A family moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. That's it. That's it. That is the crisis in the movie. But if you're a little girl, it is. I I want to
3: sidebar and and compliment the movie for giving the parents who cannot possibly be the center of this, they have to be at the margins. But in those few lines that they give them, they give them a good reason to be behaving the way they're behaving that a move across the country is incredibly stressful. Dad, it'd be easy to make him into like a madman sort of character, saying, like, Oh, well, I I've moved the family because i we're gonna achieve and I've got my goals. It's like, no, he's stressed out because look, they're investors, they're pulling out and he doesn't want to have to lay lay people off. So his focus is not on the family at this moment. Uh, the the mom, his her focus is not on the family over these next three or four days because there's a truck somewhere with all their belongings in it and no one seems to know where it is. So you, it'd be so easy to make them into just inattentive jerks or self-involved in some way, but they no, you, you, you really like these people.
2: They're way more well-adjusted than actual parents would be in a situation <laughs> like this. is This is an idealized version. We all wish we could be as, and even then they end up saying the wrong thing to their kid or ignoring it a lot of the time, but at least they don't blow up at their kid, which would be much more realistic.
3: It was actually the dad said stomped the head of that poor mouse he saw something (laughs) small and living he had to kill somebody
1: (laughs) but but the nice thing about it is that even at that in their own ways they are worrying about family it's just their priority of what to worry about is different Right. And he's worried about not just his own family, but his work family, who are also dependent on the investors and the success of Brang, whatever that might be. <laughs> and, and you know, the mom is worried about their stuff. I mean, you can't you can't live without your stuff. But you they know?
4: also but they also I mean, like, in, in fairness to the parents. You know, and they end up, obviously, this ends up being a little bit of a problem. Is that they think of Riley as a basically happy, well adjusted kid. And they right. think, well, if we provide these basic things, and this is, again, this plays right back into the whole story arc is that Joy runs that show. Riley has always been a happy kid. She'll probably be fine. So, you know, when the mom goes in and says, you know, God, we, haven't we all done this? You, no one wants to admit this. But you have said, hey, you look, can you just, like, be not, not a sad tomato for a couple weeks? Like, this is a tough time. We all got to power through this. Like, I didn't see her as being a huge villain in that. I saw her as saying, like, hey, you know, you're a basically happy person. Can you just be basically happy for a while? It's something we all do all the
2: time. But it's, but it's at the one moment that they shouldn't, like, it's it's exactly the wrong thing to say at the wrong time. Because, like, the kid is in crisis and you're saying, by the way, I know you, you know, like, it's not even acknowledging the crisis. saying. Look, mommy and daddy are having a difficult time here. It's tough for everybody. Like it, it, we, lo- we're so thankful that you have been your normal happy self. And this is just like, and she's just like, my normal happy what? I'm going through, you know, problems but here. That had
3: such that has such personal resonance to me because I I remember a time when I was a kid and my mom uh, thought that she was. Being so grateful and nice and encouraging, which he said something almost exactly like that. Well, you know, there's a lot of problems right now, and I just it just makes us so happy to know that we don't have to worry about you. And I'm like, okay, I will be happy. Oh God, I'll be. Oh, God. No, I'll be I, I'm wow. dying inside, but I will make sure that N- now. I now I will not I, now I feel bad, problems. and
4: I feel bad about how I feel bad. <laughs> exactly.
2: now, now I know there's no hope for rescue. They're the one yes. people in the world who I who I think are supposed to understand me think everything is fine, and are thanking me for everything being fine. So my choices here are to disappoint them by not being fine, uh, or you know, to, to create. To, create like,
3: pro- my, my, my parents are 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 having. Pro- uh, there were it wasn't problems with my parents, but it's like. Boy, if, if the way that I can show gratitude is by not causing more problems by, you know, again, being upset with something that happened at school today. So I was like, oh, boy, that was a great scene.
0: And for the record, I've I've decided that Brang is a service that comes to your house and takes all the boxes that other stuff was delivered to your house away. <laughs> they take them away
4: then they they, uh, they leave without they leave without stealing anything so it's
0: uber but for recycling
1: <laughs> i i thought it was uh, uh sort of a more advanced dropbox right what did you bring well we bring this thing over here and now we're going to bring it over to you and you can download it here and well, see, I, know, it's just Dropbox, but I cool. I think Brang is, the, Brang is the opposite of bring. So things were brought to you,
0: and now Brang right. takes them back away. Well, that, yeah.
3: you're, you're, you're ignoring the fact he's from Minnesota. I believe Brang is a way of organizing and cataloging people bringing a hot dish for a potluck.
0: All
3: right. <laughs> so you don't get four noodle salads. It's like, it's like it's, doodle it's for uber. casserole. It's Uber it's for, <laughs> for hot dish. Uber for Lutherans. The reason why the funding backed out is that they misjudge how many Lutherans actually live in the Bay Area. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why uh, Brank's going to have problems, is what I'm saying. I also want to mention the scene that I think is just, I mean, it is kind of Pixar showing off, um, going completely (laughs) off model and brilliantly where they enter the area of abstract thought. And we we get different art styles through that whole segment to the end where they become two dimensional and you get that great joke of like, everybody just fall down. Just fall down. You're two dimensional. Fall down. And then you can go through the door. Maybe Um, I'm a scrooge, but I would have cut that scene. Really? Not because I don't think
2: it's brilliant, but just because I don't feel I I feel like it was one of those ideas that they just couldn't let go because it was too good, too good of an idea to let go. Doesn't it? Doesn't
0: uh, it's not necessary. Other than I think maybe it makes you think a little bit more about how trustworthy Bing Bong
1: is. (laughs) Well, I I think it's I think it's important for for Bing Bong's trustworthiness or intelligence. But I do think it is important to, to be able to show abstract thought and to, and to be able to say there's, there's still stuff we don't understand. And even, even those of us who live in this place don't understand what's what's going yeah. on in with this the other room. dimensions to i, to I wouldn't with. have right.
2: visualized abstract thought with an analogy to abstract art i wouldn't have gone that far and <laughs> and, and, I, and i feel like the, the that scene like i'm not saying it was bad but like uh, usually they cut everything superfluous and i feel like this one because they are animators is just too good to let go it wasn't well, very long thank you that's it okay i mean you got to you got to sometimes
3: go down the hill and uh, on your snowboard and do the do the 360 that was completely unnecessary just to show how much you're enjoying doing this i think that was not, we're not we're not we're not not talking about lava the the short that preceded it but one of the things that disappointed me about it is that what i love about pixar shorts is that it's we got six minutes to do something completely different use a technique we've never known before done something really experimental and it was just a very conventional thing so it was with with every single shot in this movie practically being something experimental where it's a canvas where anything can happen the art direction can be literally anything i just thought that at some point they're close enough to just being completely abstract. They may as well just have a scene, which they just have color form stickers uh, <laughs> on the screen for for a good three minutes.
0: I enjoy the abstract stuff as a, uh, in fact, a, honestly, a little bit as a respite from the plot
4: at that point,
0: um, just mm. to have some laughs. In they a, throw, they it,
4: throw so much at you in that in that part of the movie. There's so much stuff. It is a little bit like there's a, a Looney Tunes cartoon. That's
0: in, well, like, it's very like, much like Duck Em Up. Let's Muck. stop. We're going to do this Looney Tunes thing and then we'll continue with the plot. And it, it, so it's kind of almost just a relief to laugh at how totally left field it is and then move on with the film. So I, I enjoyed it because it was so daring and weird and uh, and yeah, maybe a little bit of a respite.
3: You know, I think it was actually necessary because that until, that entire sequence, it's so tightly allegorical. Where it's like we are now in the room where all the memories are, and now we're in the place where everything looks like a game because it's this. It's like it, it's nice to have those three minutes, which no, we the audience are completely disoriented. We have no tether to reality, just like the characters do.
2: And for the animation styles in the movie, I thought the the regular part of the movie had enough interest of different things that you know that, that oh. Pixar hasn't done before. I, I uh, like the the texture of Joy's skin was not mm. she wasn't a Muppet. She didn't have fur. She wasn't smooth. She wasn't fuzzy. She was impossible to pin down. Every time you would try to look at what is Joy's surface made of, it was you know effervescent. She kind of glows, yeah. It was yeah, she, it was like it a, was, a collection of molecules, but as she right, moves, she's just a, a,
4: a bunch the, of motes of light. Uh, but, and, but also the together. very slightest trail, like a little tiny trail of pixel like pixie dust when she moves around. Yeah, it was and am really, and, really it was, subtle. It was just Brilliant.
2: and chilled chilled down like if you look at the 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 joys inside the adults they're not as sparkly and as like like they always do something like some some new texturing or lighting technique or whatever and, and and this movie was on main characters and it was just it really i think it lent a visual interest to the movie that like there there is a certain a certain kind of i feel like i could pick out Maybe I'm picking out Render Man. I don't know about what I'm picking out, but I can can pick out a Pixar sort of look and feel of how they light uh, their scenes and everything. You can show me a shot from Brave and a shot from Shrek that are just showing like a table and I can tell you which is which because it just looks different. And this one, I think, looked different again than all of the earlier Pixar movies in an interesting way, which is, again, why I think you didn't need the abstract animation thing because the rest of the movie was also very inventive these weren't just like oh this is exactly how we draw people in toy story 3 and now there's just going to be a bunch of people running around in a head they really thought about every aspect of that internal world and how it can be different and hyper real and like and the real world was sort of more like hey we can do people now decently or whatever but inside the head world you know was fair game to make things out of clay or shiny plastic or glowing bubbles bouncing around or
1: whatever. Right, but but every other portion of of the interior stuff was very comprehensible. And and so I felt I felt it really needed something to say that no we we still don't understand every part of the brain and even even they don't understand everything.
2: Well, it was just the crew just cleaning it was burn that stuff out you know <laughs> like <laughs> the, the idea that that there are sections that get messed up and things, you just burn them out by simplifying them down to their elemental thoughts and they just poof away you could like that's another way they could have gone in like the early meetings for this is oh the inside of the mind the whole movie could have been like that the whole movie could have yeah. been super abstract experimental like something that you would see on a one off episode of like the electric company or something that would just
0: blow your brains out well, which like, is what I said the at the beginning that? is sort of like that's what I, what when it was first described that's what i was in, expecting and maybe that's what they were initially thinking and then it evolved into into something uh, that's still you gotta is... have a
2: story you know you can't get away with it. Yeah. The... you
0: gotta have a story it cannot yeah. be like super abstract and and, and yet for it to, to to contain what it contains and still have that story it, it is uh yeah it, it's an impressive achievement to do that we are um running out of time but i wanted to see if there are there other things that you wanted to bring up to talk about that we haven't covered the triple dent gum, gum jingle. Oh. Best running
3: gag of the last 15 minutes. <laughs> so my, my my wife has a
0: uh, has an encyclopedic knowledge of certain um, TV commercial jingles from her childhood. Um, that it, it is amazing. And so that was a moment where I had to give her a little elbow
4: in the mm. theater. It's
0: like, yep, yep, yep. She knew. She knew. The, the <laughs> stuff you just – it's stuck in there. You can't get it out. You, you want to get it out, but you can't. Yep
2: i'd like to highlight the fact that this is a pixar movie and the main character is a girl uh yeah and i haven't seen that brought up a lot because the concentration is entirely on the the world inside the head of the person you know right and interestingly the emotions inside the head aren't all, all girls or boys either but like but the main character of this movie riley uh is a girl and it did didn't have to be uh that you know she she could have been a boy and this movie would work just as well and so it was a choice to say you know what we have enough movies where the main character is a boy how about some where the main character is a girl and i think that that goes a long way and the main character inside the head joy is female too sadness is also female like the the gender mix inside the head is interesting i don't know if there was a rhyme or reason for that or it was just a a casting choice or whatever just to say that these like
0: why aren't they all girls inside the head you know there's well, that, you know we we see we see some of the female quote unquote emotions with mustaches in the dad's head, right?
1: Yeah. Right. Well, it, it looked like all of the emotions in each of the uh parent's heads were the same gender. And I think Riley's clearly a tomboy with with her love of hockey and everything. So she hasn't she hasn't quite decided maybe. And you know, maybe that evolves. I don't know.
2: I like how none of those things were plot points. Like, yeah, she likes yeah. hockey. So what right. she's a girl. So what? Like, it, yeah. I, and it hasn't come up in any of the reviews of like, Oh, take your little girls to see inside out, uh, you know, which I think is appropriate because no one ever says, Oh, take your little boys to see whatever this movie is, <laughs> you know, just because the main character is a boy. Obviously you can't take a girl to see it. Like it is sort of, uh, casual, uh, 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 improvements in gender parity Uh, and, the whole mixed gender inside the head things for kids is another kind of so like ambient, uh Like, I don't think that was a big message of the movie, but I think it's there. I think it will work its way into, into people's heads and in the same kind of way that like, you know, frozen is a you know a giant allegory for uh no no, no that's not the right word uh david will tell me for homosexuality like just they snuck that in there into this disney movie that everyone's going to take their kids to right mm. uh, and this movie that you know gender identity issues and gender roles and the idea that you can have a summer blockbuster movie centered around a girl and everyone will go see it and it's fine and have nobody talking about any of that and just have it be there i, I like that
4: yeah
0: i don't want to i don't want to bring the Place down,
4: Bring us down, I,
0: Merlin. Well, you're, I, I you're going to make us cry. If you aren't touch you? it, if you touch it, it's going to turn sad. Don't touch it, Merlin. It's a half hour don't.
3: past midnight right now, and I'll be going to bed in about twenty minutes. <laughs> Send me to bed just feeling terrible, Merlin.
4: I'm drawing I a circle you. in the floor. Stay inside the circle. <laughs> Grab me by my ankle and drag me around. Um, well, I was going to. Yeah, we don't have time, but I mean, just I. I just think that uh, sadness was. A triumph, but the thing yes. I want to highlight is, yes. I guess, the memory dump because that's where I really felt my heart heart ripped out, and I think it was so well done. And I feel like I, you know I could watch this movie a few more times and still get so much about. On the one hand, the the emotional uh, arc of the movie really uh, just blows up in the in the memory dump because if you really think what's happening, you know, joy. The, the the basic emotion the emotion who's kind of the the boss that runs the the center is gone she's in this memory dump and there's just something so like maybe even more than the toys headed toward the incinerator in Toy Story three there's something just Gut wrenching about the way that she's picking up these memories that she remembers. These are kind of her memories too. These these black, these charred memories that she's watching disappear around her. There's something so affecting about that scene, and and it's not it's not exactly mawkish. Is what's weird? Is it's because you're you, like you now appreciate joy as her own character. And understand that for Joy, as a hardworking part of this console team, like you know, like that's her memory too, going away and just sitting there and watching those go away, is uh, was was rough. But you know, also then when they sing the song and and the and the rocket, you know, wagon shows up, I just thought that whole bit was. About as dark as you could get, and still be so triumphant. And I think I feel like that is a masterclass in a certain kind of economical storytelling. Down to the the foley of what it sounds like when you tumble down a whole bunch of dying memories. Down to like how economically they they compressed the three different tries at getting up to the cliff. That 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 to me feels like a master course in a certain kind of. certain kind of storytelling that I, I thought was, I thought it was uh, just, I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely. The, the the pacing of that is so well done.
1: And I mean, I always make jokes about Chekhov's gun, right? You know, if you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to go off by the third act. And so I'll make jokes about, you know, Oh,
4: Chekhov's Chekhov's wagon. <laughs>
1: I always just sort of sit back and let Pixar wash over me. And, and the 13 year old leaned over and, and said, as, as joy gets up to the, the thing where, and, and leaves bing bong. He said, "That was Chekhov's imaginary friend's rocket wagon." Yep, (laughs) and I went, "Son of a," Mm -hmm. yeah, and and that's exactly what it is.
2: I knew that wagon was coming back. I was still surprised and anti delighted by the fact that I, you know, I assumed it would come back in a triumphant scene to a swell Mm -hmm. of music with rainbows
1: bursting from behind it, (laughs) and it did, sort of, but not really. Yeah, I mean, and and it didn't exactly. It didn't fulfill your expectation of it, which was just beautiful.
3: I'll say that I, I I was nicely misdirected by that. I thought that when the wagon was tossed into the into the pit, it was basically not not uh, put being put someplace where it could be used again, so much as reminding everybody. By the way, you lose when something goes back in the pit, it never comes back again. So here's the spot of danger. So it wasn't until the characters themselves were, were thinking, "Gosh, we're down here. How we're going to get out there?" 'm the I, I didn't think about that until the other characters did which is something that I really really like yeah. but you, you but we talked about the one uh, maybe this was the one point where I had that sort of okay I can see I can see you solving a problem in the writer's room was you have this uh, a lot of comedy from the fact that joy is trying to protect these core memories and bring them back and she's kind of juggling them because they're, they're awkward and then oh bing bong i have a bag you want yeah, to you, wanna, a bag, b- a you bag. want a bag you can carry this oh wow <laughs> that would solve <laughs> the problem of having to animate uh, i mean boy that would be a lot more convenient to carry this around in
2: and
4: the, the kitchen sink comes out <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. and then the memory dump talking about getting dark the darkest part of this movie i think that they don't really go towards because they, because they shouldn't is so you've got all these component emotions and characters, and, and and she's losing them. And then when joy goes into the memory dump, like, so many plot points that happen inside this movie are one step away from madness. Basically saying, when this happens, when your joy goes in the memory dump and disintegrates, like, you've got problems. You know, this This is, you know, so many things that can go, simple things that can go wrong in terms of people getting lost or no longer being at the console are essentially, like, terrible mental illnesses or madness so close to you know and like and we know it's a pixar movie they're gonna you know we're gonna come back there's gonna be new islands or whatever but it, 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 like at various points in this movie i'm like where are they going with this like is this kid like i'd mentioned you know, the serial killer but even just something like it, it's it's once you have this world established mundane things that happened in it have massive consequences for the future of that part like what if what if you can't feel joy what if your joy loses a leg right you know how does that affect you for the rest of your life what if what if your sadness is giant and eats two of your other emotions like you know like
1: <laughs> not what if what sadness party, is a giant welsh troll you know like <laughs> a you Chianti. sorry we only have
3: enough thought bubbles for four of us so one of you <laughs> i think you know what to do
0: I kind of imagined I, I had that same thought john and and I was thinking that that what happens if joy were to disintegrate there, and my thought is that at some point after some therapy you know a new joy would appear in the head, uh, maybe. like and a little be, group. I think, we're all, we're, yeah, I think little all of group. us have
3: read the Sandman I think we're all thinking about how you know like the the light becomes delirium and how a dream becomes Daniel. I think that's what was affecting some of our thought processes
1: well, and I, that's another thing to bring up is we haven't even talked about the dreams the dream section oh <laughs> man oh, which i mean oh, how yeah. brilliant was that
4: the reality distortion filter <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Yeah, well, yeah well that that, that was, was nice. a laugh
0: out loud moment for some of us the reality distortion <laughs> <Right>. filters <laughs>
2: something this movie for everyone yeah
0: yeah and the, yeah the, the dream the the idea that the dream is a movie studio yep
2: <laughs> and and all the actors look like these little blo- indistinct blobs but through the camera lens yeah <laughs>
0: yeah no that that's a, that was a thing of beauty and then the way they uh kind of like in, incompetently send a message to wake her up
4: and then the clown comes and is terrifying Is that was all that was all gold (laughs) here's a here's a victory lap for you you ready for this 94 minutes Mm -hmm. can you Uh believe that i mean like so many of the movies can we make all movies 94 minutes long well (laughs) well Well,
1: you know well all animated movies are pretty much 90 minutes long
4: so but i mean like we we love but they did it so well In the last year, we have really loved a ton of uh, superhero movies. The Harry Potter movies have loomed large over the last year. But like 94 minutes, that is so much story to get into 94 minutes. Oh, yeah. And world building.
2: And if ever there was a movie that was going to spool out to be two hours, it would be this one. Because, like, there's an infinite number. We just went through all the, all the ideas that weren't in this movie or that well, couldn't just be made. So, much, the movie. so
4: much more that you, that you, I mean, you know, there's a part of this that is, let's be honest, a certain amount of Pixar hagiography. Pixar takes, like Apple takes a lot of pride in certain kinds of things. Pixar has certain stories that they like, like to share with you. They will, If you meet someone with Pixar, they will tell you about how they took 10 minutes out of The Incredibles. It's a great story. And in this case, though, I mean, like, the thing is, as you guys on The Incomparable like to say, it's on the screen. They, they got all that into 94 minutes without any more of, the, like, no but, no but, no but, we have to explain this more. And they didn't. They, they, they put everything that needed to be there on the screen, and they got out in, like, the length of a Merv Griffin show.
3: Yeah, and that, that's not that's not to be diminished i uh, over the weekend i saw a movie that was 14 minutes long and i could see oh my god it's 9 minutes to it is way way too long i can i can't sit through this entire thing because it is so not need to be a 14 minute long movie but as as ebert said you know no good movie is is long enough no bad movie is short enough mm-hmm. and pixar i can't i can I, i'm not sure i haven't seen the two cars movies but i can't think of a single pixar movie that had a scene that i thought yeah they could have lost this
2: yeah if they wanted to make this movie longer like i mentioned at the beginning the balance between the inside the head and outside the head it's clear that when it came time to choose which is more important inside the head one yeah. so they had to show you enough of outside riley for you to understand riley as the character and for there to be stakes but there wasn't a lot of plot driven by you get to see Riley doing stuff like it was always, you were inside the head and then you zoomed out to see what's happening with Riley during this time and then back in again. And so if you wanted to make the longer movie, you could have had more outside stuff, but they, ma- they made the right choice. And I think in the balance of concentrating on only pulling back out to show you the context and then go back in that because I mean, and that's true to the experience of living. Like you live inside your own head, right? You don't live in third person watching yourself for the most part. So that was a wise choice. And I think that really helped cut down on the time, even if you could have made sort of like a fuller movie with more, with, with more external stuff.
0: Outside stuff is important because of stakes, but it's also important to keep you connected to the metaphor. I think that one of the ways that this film could have lost it, lost itself. I mean, (laughs) I mean... (laughs) like really really lost itself it like literally i don't know how this actually connects to a person and that, that i think it would have been really easy to do that that like oh it's an imaginary world inside your head and every time we go back out into the outside world i feel like that it, that is one of the things that the film is doing is is resetting us yeah, if they st- if they stayed inside
2: you would have demanded the thing i mentioned before is that well inside all these characters heads surely there are five people the control panel of joy because suddenly joy becomes the main character and she's on an adventure through
0: brain land that's not the movie and what does it mean what does it mean that joy and sadness are lost and that the other emotions are at the controls what does that mean you have to see how how her emotions change when she's cut off from those emotions how her external behavior changes otherwise you lose for the for what happens on the inside to have meaning you have to see uh, something and be able to compare it to like this is the human behavior that it, that stems from this thing we're seeing inside her head
2: it can't be just an adventure movie inside Brainland. it can't be like help joy and sadness find their way <laughs> to the goal and when they make their way to the goal everything will be okay Happy, and then we'll yay. show you on the outside that everything is okay that's not what this movie's about right pixar they're pretty good at what they do i think bold statement
3: they'll, they'll do they, they are one of the studios that you, you just you just trust them you, you yeah. really just trust them whatever whatever they i uh, they i had that that first sort of questionable moment with uh the the pre- news about Up. All I know is that, okay, it's about a guy in his 80s, and he flies away in his house by tying a lot of balloons to it. Oh, man, this looks pretty thin. And then you just, okay, from now on, I trust Pixar. They, they've got $12. <laughs> they, they might not get the second $12 for the second shooting, but they
0: definitely get the first $12. All right. Um, it's been a pleasure talking about inside out and i'm glad we got to do that we we often get requests for movies that are in theaters now on the incomparable and we don't do it a lot i did the analysis it's something like i think it's less than 10 10 times we've done it in five years it is rare but i'm glad we got to do it and i would like to thank my panelists for joining me tonight andy and Iko, thanks for being here
3: it's been a slice i'm gonna cry a little bit but it's been a slice
0: we laughed we cried we learned we grew
1: little seltzer in the eye david lore thank you i've i've got a good feeling about this one
0: john Syracusa, what color are your emotion orbs
2: i was gonna say i love you but you've ruined it by asking me a question <laughs>
0: <laughs> and merlin man it is always a pleasure to have you on i'm so happy that you could join us
4: crying helps me slow down and obsess over the weight of life's problems
0: and thank you to everybody out there for listening to the incomparable we'll see you next week this is jason snell signing off bye
2: Hi, Erica. Hi, Steven. Uh, what are we doing here?
5: Well, we're talking about a Doctor Who podcast that we do together called Lazy Doctor Who. Oh, really? What's that about? <laughs> it's where you and I watch Doctor Who from the very first episode made in 1963 up to the present day and then we talk about it on the podcast
2: what over 800 episodes of Doctor Who from William Hartnell to Peter Capaldi all in one sitting
5: no silly <laughs> we talk about each episode as we watch them or maybe we talk about a couple episodes per podcast or however many we feel like watching in a particular night
2: <sighs> how on earth are we gonna fit all of these podcasts in
5: well that is the beauty of it we record a podcast whenever we get around to it and for however long we want to talk Talk for we're lazy like that.
2: So it's a Doctor Who podcast where the hosts are kind of lazy. So yep,
5: lazy Doctor Who. Find it on the incomparable network on iTunes or at lazydoctorwho.com.
0: Thanks for explaining that. I was feeling lazy. Yeah.